Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If you're new with us, my name is David Harrington. I'm the the location pastor here at our Sunset Hills location. We're a multi-site church. Uh, we've got four locations and uh, we've got people joining us online right now. So welcome to you all who are uh, joining with us. Um, I'll start by just telling a, a, a short story about myself. When I, I'm not from St. Louis, moved here from Lee Summit, KC area, go Chiefs. I can't, I can't squelch that fire in my heart. Um, but I did convert quickly to Cardinal Nation. So you'll be happy to know that, those of you who that's important to. Um, But when I moved here, I I came to school. I went to Maryville University. And I remember as a freshman in college, I just, I had this expectation. There was a way that things were gonna go. And I tend to, I think, live my life this way. Um, And I just, I just, I anticipated that I'm gonna move to St. Louis, move on to campus. I'm gonna show up for my classes. I'm gonna do the work. I'm gonna pass my classes and I'm gonna move on. End of story. Pretty simple, right? And it was a simple plan, and it was a working plan until I walked into my chemistry class. Now, I don't know what your subject is that is your nemesis, but I know that we all have a nemesis, okay? Chemistry was my nemesis. I, thank you, I heard that, amen. Chemistry's the worst, okay? It's the worst. I could not wrap my head around. I wasn't smart smart enough. I don't know what it was, but I felt like the more time I spent in the textbook, the more time I was confused, or the more I was confused, the more time I spent with the teacher, the more I struggled. I just, I had a very difficult time and it was stressful. Wasn't used to this. I became very stressed that I wasn't making any progress. And in my stress, I had this thought, this is not what I expected. This is not what I expected. Now, maybe you didn't struggle in a college class like me, but every single one of us has had the thought, this is not what I expected. This is not turning out how I thought. Don't look at your spouse. <laughs> it's a bad move. We've, had, we've all had this thought. I thought this job was gonna go better. I thought this move was gonna shake things up in my life. I didn't think my problems were gonna follow me. I didn't expect to be at this level for this long. Thought I would have been promoted by now. I didn't expect to be single this long. I didn't expect to be in a relationship this long. I thought this promotion was gonna mean more time at home, more flexibility. I thought these kids would sleep. (laughs) I remember talking to my friend, our lead pastor, Brian Mowry. I've known him since 2003. We, we had our first child and she gave us a run for our money. And I remember telling him, coming to him so tired and being like, and just saying it. I think she was like seven months old. And um, she's 12 now, <laughs> um, seven months old. And I remember telling him, we could not get Claire to sleep. And I remember, I am so tired. And he looked at me with a puzzled look. And he's like, what did you expect? I don't know. I thought it was going to be easier than this. Thought I'd sleep more. I did not expect to have this much heartburn at night. What is up with the heartburn at night? Like, is that a late thirties thing? My goodness. We all have something in our life 
We've all walked through seasons and circumstances where we've had the thought, I didn't expect this. Life is full of things we don't expect. And here's the reality. We don't know we have these expectations until we go through something. And then our feathers get a little ruffled and we're like, oh, I expected that to go differently. We all do it. We bring these expectations into our relationship with Jesus. We have expectations of God. We expect him to behave in a certain way and in a certain manner and for our life to go according to a plan that probably we've constructed in our mind. We all have expectations. And I can only imagine that this thought, this thought, I didn't expect this to go this way, was bouncing around in the disciples' minds as they pushed their boat away from the crowd and away from Jesus and where they will find themselves eventually in a storm. I could imagine they're thinking, because they're just like us. These, these, they're just like us. They're thinking, I did not think this would go this way. I was expecting something different. I think there's some things that we can glean from the disciples and from what Jesus does in this story. Let me lay the scene for you a little bit to what's happened, because it's important to understand what's happened in this story. And there's a backdrop. So the backdrop is the Jews are waiting for a king. They're waiting for a king that will rally them and unite them and lead them into what they believe will be military and political victory. They have held on to prophecies of old that tell them of this coming king, one who will come and right every wrong, restore what is broken, establish a new government. More and more, it's looking like to the Jews that Jesus could be the one. Sky's looking pretty good. He can do a few things. He has people's attention. And a lot of Jews were looking for this one that is supposed to be coming. And then let's consider the day. Let's consider the day of what's happened. We've been unpacking this day over the last couple weeks. It starts with Jesus pulling up in a crowd coming out to him. We know there was 5,000 men, but likely 10 to 15,000 people. 10 to 15,000 people, men, women, and children flocking to Jesus. And what does he do? It says he has compassion on them and he begins to heal the sick. Just heal the sick. Lame walk, blind see, fever's gone. Just healing people left and right. And then it gets time to eat. Problem is they don't have any food. Not a problem for Jesus. He takes the kid's box lunch. He prays for it. It multiplies. He feeds 10 to 15,000 people. There's leftovers. He was gaining favor. He was gaining a following. In our natural eyes, and I'm sure the disciples were thinking, man, we've got a lot of momentum at our back right now. Like, look at all these people looking to Jesus. Look at them listening to him. I mean, they're kind of, they're probably fascinated by what's transpiring. I'm sure the crowd was murmuring, maybe Jesus is the one. Maybe we need to make him king. And what does Jesus do? On an incredible day, lots and lots of miracles. He ends it. He sends the crowd away. He sends his disciples away. And he goes up on a mountain for some alone time. 
What's that about? What's he doing? I'm pretty sure a few of the disciples were thinking, I didn't think this was going to turn out this way. So they were rowing away from the shore and away from Jesus. This isn't what I expected. I think it's interesting that our text even says that Jesus made them get into the boat. Did you catch that? He made them. That word, when you look at the translation, it means compelled or to force. This was not the disciples' idea. They, no one volunteered, hey, Jesus, I got a great plan. We, just, we have 15,000 people here. You've healed them. You've fed them. Now I think you should stay here. They should go away, and we should go across the lake. I think that's what we should do. No one was suggesting that plan. But since Jesus makes them get into the boat, Here's a thought that hit me thinking about this text. I wonder if Jesus knew about the storm that was coming. If he did, consider that he didn't just send them into the boat, but he sent them into the storm. And we need to wrap our mind around the fact that the disciples encountered a situation that they could not overcome. They faced a storm that they could not overpower. They faced a struggle that was exhausting and they were in it because Jesus made them get into the boat and go. We need to consider this because our culture preaches happiness and self-satisfaction. It, it's just, it's everywhere. You do you, find what makes you happy and when you find that thing, do it to the nth degree and that's what will satisfy you. Seek out your happiness in the, in the culture, the message of the culture. We got to be careful. It seeps into the church. And we grow up and think, yeah, life should go my way. I should get what I want. I should find the things that make me happy. But if we live in that place, we have no category for suffering and struggling. If we define based on worldly standards, then we don't, there, what's the purpose of struggle? It's just something that's bad that shouldn't happen that we want to get away from. Here's the thing, suffering and struggle in God's kingdom never happens without purpose. And you maybe just, maybe that's what you need to take away today. In God's kingdom, suffering and struggle never happens without purpose. Do you always know in every moment of every second of why it's happening and what he's doing? No. But it is never without purpose. Storms in life knock us off balance and we can quickly think, what is this about? I am rowing and rowing and rowing. And last I checked the shoreline, I'm still at the same rock that we haven't gotten past. I'm going nowhere. And then here's where our expectations of God come out. God, why are you doing this to me? All I want is to get to the other side. If we're honest with ourselves, when we're struggling, when we're something in our life that is a pain point and we don't like it, we want to get away from it. That's what we want. You know what the disciples wanted? They wanted to get to the other side. The text doesn't tell us that they had put their rows down and they were relaxing, thinking, you know what, Jesus is going to show up. They weren't thinking that. They were rowing into the third hour, into the fourth watch. It's like 3, 4 a.m. They're rowing and they're still going nowhere. 
They want relief. They want to the other side. That's what they want. They're not looking to God. Relief for them is on the other side. And that's so often what we want. We get in a struggle. We get, we, our heart gets pinched. We get wounded and we just want to get out of it. We want to get through it. Let's just give me the relief, God. I'm not, and here's the, it feels like a good ask. It's not that much. I'm not asking for that much. I don't want it all. I just want on the other side of this. Here's the thing that God understands and what we often forget. Every struggle we have, the moment we get through it, there's another one waiting for us. Jesus wants to do something in the disciples and through the disciples. And I believe he wants to do something in you and through you that is not offering you momentary relief just to get to the other side. He wants to do something greater than that. He wants to give you something better than that. He wants to give you something that will sustain you, not just through this storm, but through the next one and the next one and the next one. What he has to offer, it's not of this world. It's only found in his kingdom. Jesus could have snapped his fingers from the top of that mountain and made that storm stop and given the disciples what they wanted but it would not have accomplished the greater thing that he was doing. He doesn't allow us to struggle without purpose. And this is why I think, this is one of the things I think Jesus wants us to see in this text. We want relief. He wants to give you a revelation. We want relief, but he wants to give you a revelation of a God who is greater than in over all things and holding all things together. And he's so good and he's so faithful that even when we see no possibilities, there is a way for him. He always sees the way. He's interested in giving you something eternal, something lasting, something precious, something that this world cannot. And so just consider with me for the moment that Relief from your struggle isn't the thing that you need. Maybe the thing you want, but not the thing you need. Perhaps Jesus wants to give you something deeper than that. And this is what happens in the disciples. If you recall back in Matthew chapter eight, we're in Matthew chapter 14, back in chapter eight, this was not the disciples' first storm in a boat, right? The disciples went through a similar predicament. They faced a storm. The difference was in that storm in Matthew chapter eight, Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat. They were able to go down there and say out loud instead of just thinking, hey, don't you care about us? Wake up! <laughs> That's what they did. We're, they literally, we're about to die, Jesus. How are you sleeping? And once he do, he wipes the sleep out of his eyes. He rebukes the wind. The storm stops. The, wind, the, the sun comes out and, and they marvel at him. They marvel. And this question is, this is the question they asked in Matthew chapter eight. They said, they said, who is this man that even the winds obey? And here they are again. These disciples must have bad luck following them around because here they are in another boat, in the water, in another storm. <laughs> they keep finding their way into this situation. Difference is there's no Jesus in the boat with them. No Jesus. 
They're wet, they're tired, they haven't slept, probably thinking some of the same thoughts that we have all had, probably let a few unchoice words come out of their mouth, probably questioning God a little bit, definitely questioning Jesus and his decision-making and sending them across without him in this moment, probably. And in this low point, they look up. And just imagine this scene with me, because this is mind-blowing. Imagine this scene where they look up, the storm is raging, they're still in the exact same place even though they're rowing, they're getting beat down with the rain and the wind, their boat is getting tossed about, and they look up and they catch a glimpse of something in the distance, in the dark of night. Go ahead and have me pass out, okay? The last thing I wouldn't be is in a body of water where I can't see every single thing around me. I don't want, I don't, it makes me nervous. <laughs> and here they are. Guys, there's no electricity. It is the dark of night, 3 a.m. likely in the morning. They're exhausted. They look up. They're still in the storm. And now there is a figure in the distance that they don't know what it is that is coming towards them. They're terrified. Rightly so. They're panicked. They are freaking out. It says, it says they begin to cry out. They're, cry, they're probably saying, God, save us. The wind's after us. The water's after us. Now the ghosts are after us. Help us, Lord. Can't win for losing. Help us. They're crying out. They're in a struggle. They're like, get us out of here. That's all I want. It's not much. Just get me out of this situation. Jesus can probably hear them panicking. They're not crying out in silence. They're crying out for their life. He probably can hear them. And this is what he says. He says, be encouraged. Hey, calm down. It's I. Don't be afraid. And at the sound of his voice, he doesn't even have to say it's Jesus. Notice that? He says, it's I. At the sound of his voice, the disciples' anxiety turns to wonder. Oh, the relief they must have felt. The wonder they must have felt. They're probably leaning over the edge. Jesus? Jesus? How is it Jesus? He's walking on water. The water. And the waves that the disciples couldn't overcome, couldn't row through, were Jesus' footstool as he strolled across through the storm. The law of physics transforming with every single step. The author and creator of life held up by his creation. See, here's the amazing thing. If you were to ask the disciples before they knew it was Jesus about their situation, what they would have seen was the storm. What they would have seen was being surrounded by darkness. There was no category in their mind for Jesus to come waltzing across on top of the water. They just said, we're in a hope, we're stuck. We're going nowhere, we're rowing, we've been rowing all night, we're gonna keep rowing because we don't know what else to do. Jesus has purpose in the storm. There is power coming in the midst of the struggle. There is one who always sees and always understands and always knows what is coming and is always good. And here's the thing, Jesus, just when the disciples thought they were alone and separated from him, Jesus puts on display that nothing will separate him for those he came for. No body of water, no storm, no wave, nothing will separate him. And maybe you need to hear that today. You're in a struggle. You see the storm. You see the darkness. You don't see how God's going to break in. He just wants you to know, even though you don't see it, he's already got a plan and he's already come for you. Nothing separates him. 
Nothing separates us from Jesus. And isn't that a picture of, our sto- of the story? If your faith is in Jesus, what a picture of, of, of what our, the condition of our life was like. Rowing, trying to be a good person, trying to do enough, trying to get to the other side. Maybe this shoreline, maybe that will be the answer. Nope, let's go to this shoreline. Maybe that will be the answer. Nope, rowing, 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 getting nowhere. And we're stuck, never getting out. Jesus breaks in. Jesus breaks in. He came, on the, he came through the storm and he went to the cross for you and I. Nothing, nothing. Our sin has created a mess of brokenness around us separated us. Jesus wasn't content with that separation. He wasn't satisfied for us to not know him and be near him and walk with him. He went to the cross. He conquered the grave. There is purpose in the storm. There is power coming in the midst of the struggle. And as if that's not enough, we have this whole situation with Peter. And I don't know if this is Peter being Peter or if he really wanted confirmation or if he was prompted by the Holy Spirit. I I don't know, but Peter calls out and he says, if it's you, Jesus, if it's you, Jesus, command me to come to you on the water. And what does Jesus say? He didn't say, Peter, knock it off and stay in the boat with the others. Why are you always trying to showboat? No, what's he say? He says, come. One word. Sometimes I feel like I might have a word from God and this is what I would, here's what I I do and probably more than me do. We get a word from God and we're like, all right. And then we look and we're like, that water looks like water. (laughs) Like that, that, I expected like like a floor to elevate and like make it really obvious that when I step down, it's gonna hold me. What'd you say, Jesus? Like the wind, the wind was in my ear. Andrew was talking. I think I might've misunderstood. Could you give me a few more words? Could you just bring me some extra confirmation? Don't we do that with God? We just start questioning. That internal voice starts going off. Is that really God? Did I really hear God? Not sure if I do anything about that. Because what if it's not God? That internal alarm goes off. That fear trigger kicks in and we start asking, what if? And there's something to really be admired about Peter in this story. Jesus says, come. And he immediately obeys. And here's what I want us to see. Peter was not confident in himself in this moment, in this story. He wasn't full of faith in himself and he wasn't believing, you know, uh, he wasn't believing, it wasn't about that. Check out what he said. Notice what he said. He said, command me. And another translation, translation says, at your word, Jesus. He actually shows us some wisdom and discernment here. What's he saying? Peter's recognizing, okay, I've seen Jesus at his word, heal the sick, lame walk, dead raised, blind see. At his word, fever's gone. At his word, storms stop. So he says, Jesus, at your word. His faith was in the word of Jesus, not in himself. And that's what God's inviting us into. He's like, come on, where's your faith? 
Is your faith in what you can do? Is your faith in what you can muster up? Or is your faith in me, the one who makes the impossible possible? My word, if I say the word, it will be. We don't come to a God who keeps his promise 50% of the time or most of the time. We don't have a God who shows up most days. He is perfect in every single way. He's good. Every day you wake up, every day his mercy is new. Every day he's faithful. That's who he is. And we can put our trust in him and that's his invitation. Come on, put your trust in me and the one that Peter put his trust in. Now we got two people on the water. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking, this is not how I expected this to go. This is not how I thought this day would turn out. But see, with Jesus, it's always better than we expect. It's always more glorious. It's always more miraculous. It's always better with Jesus. Jesus wants us, like the disciples, to fix our eyes on him. Peter doesn't get it all right in this story, does he? Gets out of the water, shows amazing obedience and faith in Jesus' word. And what's he do? He looks at the wave. And it's like he can't help keeping his human logical brain from kicking in. And that's what we do. We get on the water and all of a sudden we see a 10-foot wave that's coming right for us. It's bigger than us. It's greater than us. It's more powerful than us. It will absolutely tank us out by human reasoning. Happens all the time. But does Jesus let Peter sink? No. He didn't say, hey, you were so close, Peter. Maybe next time. <laughs> Don't do that, does he? No. He's so kind. He's so merciful. And when Peter is sinking down, because not because of what Jesus did, because Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, Jesus lifts him up. Man, just such a picture of God's kindness towards you. You think, oh God, I'm gonna go down. He says, no, Bible says he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun. He'd started a work in Peter. He did, not Peter, Jesus did. He's faithful to complete it. He's going to see it through. He was going to get Peter onto that boat. Man, he wants us to see him. Let me ask you this question. Where have you put your hope and your trust? What are you, what are you living for right now in this season of your life? Man, I'm just trying to get through this next stage, this next job, Man, this next class. I just, I just want to get through it. And if I get there, come on. Jesus says, come on, I, I've got better things. All of that momentary satisfaction. I want to do a work that redeems the deepest parts of your soul and heart. There's wounds in here that he wants to heal. There is freedom that he has for us. Where are, where are our eyes? What are we putting our trust in. And here's what I love about the difference between Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus does the miracle. They say, wow, who is this man? Matthew chapter 14. They bowed down and worshiped. And they declared, this surely is the son of God. This is the son of God. 
Not what man is this? No, no, no. There was a shift. They went from questioning what kind of man is this to bowing down and recognizing this is God in the flesh. This is the one. This is the king. This is the savior. This is the Messiah that we've been long awaiting for. However, he's just doing things that we didn't expect. He's going about it in a way we didn't understand. He has a better way than the way that man kind understands. He has a greater way. They bow down and worship Jesus and that is what the church is born to do. We are to bow down and worship Jesus and declare that he is, he's the hope of the world. He is the son of God. We don't get there in our effort. We receive it by his mercy. Peter was right when he first met Jesus. When he first met him or near when he first started following him, he said, away from me for I am a sinful man. He understood that Jesus was good and he was not. But what he didn't understand then, and I think he might be beginning to grasp at this point in his walk with Jesus is, and what I want us to grasp is that Jesus came not to reject or abandon or to judge or to lean back with disapproving eyes. Jesus came. He came to find you in the storm. He came to meet you in the struggle. And he came to give you something better than the relief on the other side is gonna offer. He has a revelation for you. The son of God who lived and died and then resurrected to restore you in your place with him in heaven, to restore your relationship with here on earth. That's our greatest need. That's our greatest need. And oh, what a beautiful place the church is when we let go of the momentary things in the, in, the, in, the, in the momentary distractions in the, and we replace it with an eternal perspective and an eternal hope that's anchored in Jesus and what he's doing and what's happening in his kingdom. What a beautiful people the church is who keep their eyes on him. What miracles are worked in that place. What stories of overcoming are born out of that place. When we see him, we put our hope in him and we trust in him. Won't you stand with me? We're going to pray here in a minute. I just, God is extending an invitation to you, to me, to all of us today, wherever you're at. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus as the son of God. Maybe you've never recognized him as Lord of your life. He wants you to receive him. He came to this earth and he went to the cross and he has all these stories in scripture that tell of what he's done so that you may hear and know and believe in him. He did that for you. And maybe you followed him. Maybe you know him as Lord and Savior, but you've just gotten in the water, but you've taken your eyes off and you've looked to other things. God's inviting you back. Come on, be satisfied in me again. Be satisfied in me and what I offer, what I can do. I am your hope. We need to be reminded of this all the time. That's why we have our weeks of prayer and fasting. If you've not been a part of that, we'll have one coming up in the beginning of August. And we, we, this week is devoted to understanding that we tend to take our eyes off of Jesus and we've got to be purposeful about placing them back on him. You don't just wait. We drift away, church. We drift away. We need to be purposeful about saying, no, this is who God is. This is who we look to. We ask him, what does he want to do? What's he up to? 
And he'll probably give us some things that are too great for us. But that's okay because they're not too great for him. I just want to encourage you to be a part when that week comes around, just to be a part of that. If you're, if you're new with us and maybe you're exploring faith, maybe you're new to church, maybe you're not sure about a lot of these things I'm talking about, I just want to invite you to be a part of our growth track coming up in August. Growth track is a place we sit down and we talk about, we open the Bible and we talk about man, how God has created us and what he's created us for and what's his big plan and how do we participate in that big plan. And so I'd love for you to come join us for that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you came in the storm. We thank you that you didn't abandon your disciples. Thank you that it's a picture to us, Lord, that you have come and are coming. Every morning we wake up, your mercy is new. Every morning, every day, we get the opportunity to encounter you, to hear from you, to place our hope in you. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, show us our hearts. Show us where we have placed our trust and our hope. Lead us into places of freedom, God. Let us cast off courageously the things that we have hoped in that are outside of you. We just wanna fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Say yes to you. Quickly obey, respond, trusting in you and who you are. In your name, amen.